Hello everyone, just a quick note before we get into this week's episode. For the first and only time, this week's interview with Sean Payne from Cyanotic is also available in video form on YouTube. So if you'd rather watch that uncut 40-minute video, press pause now, check the show notes, and click on that link. Okay, now on to the show. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 1016 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. Cold Waves 10 is just one month away, taking place September 22nd through the 25th at Metro, Smart Bar, Riviera Theater, and Lanocturne. Cold Waves is a celebration of Chicago's relationship with industrial music, the memory of a fallen brother, and a fundraiser for Darkest Before Dawn, a nonprofit providing resources and support for workers in the nightlife industry. For more information, including the full lineup and ticket links, head to coldwaves.net. This week, we welcome back Saturday Metro opener, Sean Payne. This is Cyanotic. clouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality.
If we are starting where we left off when we last spoke a few years ago, you were in the middle of the tech noir era. I think everyone was a big fan of that. I think that worked out really well. You closed it out with that that big T2 release. Clarify for me what was added into the T2 release that wasn't on Tech Noir. Because I remember when that came out, you said it had, you know, almost double what Tech Noir had. Right. And it was kind of going to be like a companion remix EP. But then we were like, well, Armalite Industries wants to help put it out as a physical product. So we just decided to package them together and then have... Um, their mastering guy jules seifert do the mastering on all of them and man he kicked ass on it he did all the um cubinate and c-tech and all those cool armalite releases and we were like yeah hell yeah jules i still hope he gets to do some stuff with us soon um so that was the main thing was the remastering and then i think that there's six i forget how many actual extra tracks are on there but like it's an ep's worth you know it's like close to the same length as the original technor album so then you did the trigger effect and that was 2019 oh yeah that whole experience was like uh incredibly cathartic because i actually got to make and finish an album with a band member uh jesse hunt who's just been like stalwart in like if i looked at this comparatively as nine inch nails where trent Reznor was mostly solo with like all of his buddies for a while jesse's really been that atticus ross <laughs> he's an amazing percussionist and we just have a lot of similar views and similar interests and he really helped craft those songs into something with me that with earlier incarnations of Cyanotic, I wouldn't have been able to capture in a short amount of time. I tried to be really raw with the trigger effect stuff and not overcomplicate it in a way that I usually did with Jamie or anybody with the production where it's like, let's have X amount of vocal layers or X amount of guitar layers. I was really kind of strident and punk rock with it in the way of like, no, nah, there's just like one vocal and then maybe there's two vocals that are layered in the chorus or something where before we would get into all these just over, 
you know, processed points of production methods. I mean, I think that was part of the fun of doing those like med gen with Jamie and everything. Like that's why we took so long on it because it was just, well, we can do this or we could do that. But with trigger effect, it was very like, no, let's just go in and like punch as quick as we can in the gut, get out, do it like a cyanotic album proper that should be done in 2019. So making it more conformed for short attention spans, I guess. Strangely, I didn't know this until after the album came out, but it is exactly 30 minutes and 30 seconds, which is the uh, amount of time required for something to not be considered a single or an EP on Spotify. Uh, And then I read an article just about the length of singles get buried uh, sadly. And I think some of the best material lately from bands has been singles and EPs. And it was very fortuitous that we uh, hit the 30 minute mark on it. <laughs> Cause I wasn't sure after like eight tracks, if, if with an intro, if that was actually an album, but it felt like an album to us. Let's talk about new music. Cause you've been posting some stuff saying it's, it's almost ready. So tell me a little bit about what you're working on and, you're still working with Jesse on the new stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been Jesse and then the addition of Jesse had recommended of Brad Houston and Connor Eck, who came along, who's been, he was literally next door neighbors to me during the tech noir era. And we didn't know each other, which is crazy. But yeah, we uh, all synced up within the past few years and it's been a really good, strange new feeling to have a band i mean i've always had a band that plays with me but not necessarily a band that works with me and uh just having their kind of essences involved in the creation of it just you know may come alive a lot easier and quicker even with you know the pandemic we still had our regular meetups you know of like, hey, it's every Tuesday that we get together and do five hours of drum machine and sampling and synth work. And that was really helpful in maintaining a semblance of normalcy and, you know, everything during the pandemic. And it just kind of ended up resulting in a really good batch of new songs uh, which will be the after effect. And I'm still trying to figure out how to do that if it's going to be an album because it's actually more than the trigger effect in amount of tracks. Like there's probably enough that like an old school album would be like, yeah, it's like 16 tracks. That's an album. Like Fantastic Planet's an album. But can anyone endure it anymore? So it's like, you know, just put out two EPs maybe and then you collect it into an album that's physical. I mean, I've had a lot of these conversations because that's later. What's going to come before that with all the new stuff incoming is actually a retrospecticus like The Simpsons. We're totally taking it from Lisa's yearbook. It's retrospecticus. And uh, it's uh, the kind of 20-year overview of it's not greatest hits because we've only had like two hits, but you know, (laughs) 
it's definitely a collection of the jams and it's all unheard. It, it, it makes a lot of sense to us at this point because going back to Armalite with T2, originally they wanted us to do a collection, like a singles collection or something. And I was like, I don't, we're not, we need a little bit more, you know, and we had to fill out the tracks and the space a little bit more by then. So now we can include trigger effect tracks and that that didn't get finished or versions that are just way left to center that exist and they're on my hard drive and they're good. And it's way more interesting than just like greatest hits. Like I've got unheard mixes of all these Jamie sessions. I've got unheard mixes of all these Drew sessions. I've got a couple unheard things with Jeremy Inkle. And then there's the stuff, you know, like with Levi as a contributor. And that's the first thing we're putting out is going to be a single of Tetsuo, the Iron Man cover. It's like the whole, it's a very ministry, just chugger. And we have been, you know, having a lot of fun editing all the visuals. And that's going to come out as a kind of gateway to the pre-order of the Retrospecticus thing. And that's the only speed bump we've been hitting is we've been like judicious. We've been excluding or including things and we still can't figure out. And maybe you can help me out with this, man, really. Like, give me your opinion because I'm fielding them. We're trying to figure out. We've been really prudent about like, no, that one's cool, but we can wait off on that. We're not trying to do like skinny puppy back and forth one through 10 or something. We're trying to do just a good introduction, but also a really cool, like things ahead, things in store, but things behind us kind of getting to revamp these old, old tracks. Like we've been looking at facts that are like, holy shit, this was like Fruity Loops in 2000. But the bottom line is we have about 50 tracks, like five zero. And I'm like, how do you even put that out as a thing of interest? Because here's the thing. The first one has to come out August 29th, 1997. It's a Terminator Judgment Day. So it'll be out on August 29th. And that'll be the first one. But then we wanted to have the second one out by cold waves because enough of it's already like the thing is it's like sitting on this stuff is pointless in addition to that over the years we made all these backing videos and shot all this content for tours and had people send us content for all the stories that we have enough we're going to do people don't buy dvds anymore but some people will we're going to do a dvd companion thing to it there are releases and i uh, I can't think of one offhand, but it's like you have you have the standard edition where you just pick uh, pick the top fifteen tracks, and that's for like the the regular fan, the person who's not quite all in. And then you have like the deluxe edition that has thirty or forty tracks, and then you have the the super deluxe de edition that has all the tracks and like the DVD and all that other stuff. So it's like you, you sort of tier it. I haven't thought about it that way. That's cool. I like that. It's it's one release, and everyone gets in at the level that they are comfortable with. Right. 
you got to come up with a cool marketing term. So instead of the standard deluxe and the super deluxe, you have like the the T800 version, the T1000 version, and the T... I don't even remember what happened after that because I stopped watching them. TX with three. Yeah, we don't need to remember. As a caveat, how would you possibly release it on streaming? Because I'm thinking the maximum that I could do is like, well, 12 tracks at once, four times. And then that's like, you do four times over a year and it doesn't become like too much of a like, you're not shoving it down people's throat, but you're giving them more digital content.
you mentioned to me that, that you've been really big on pushing mental health and autism awareness. Why, why don't we, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I mean, not like trying to jump on any diagnoses, uh, bandwagons or anything, but it was interesting this year with the pandemic and just a lot of cool life changes, but unexpected life changes dealing with all that. And also having all this great new material to work with, with these awesome new members who don't have like a boatload of <laughs> problems that they're carrying along with them. I mean, that's been really helpful in me discovering that, you know, just going to therapy and things I was never able to take the time to care about before, like my brain. Like, I just thought, well, I just go on, just keep going, you know, <laughs> but things stack up after a while. And um, that's when I got like a late, you know, that's like a late term diagnosis. I always had an idea I was on the spectrum, but like, I am the spectrum, apparently. And that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it. Like, I, I think I, I think I've learned to. uh kind of accept living for almost 40 years on the earth and uh because of that i haven't been able to use it as a crutch so it's just been fun to retroactively like think back on oh okay well I'll just that's that's why i was like okay well that explains something you know and um i think that's something that a lot of artists have. I'm not special with that. I think every artist I've ever met who's a real artist who's not there to just be like, I'm here to get drunk and maybe laid, you know, is that that the, the people that really want to create and really want to make whatever realm of art it is are often a little, you know, that way. And uh, I think it's really cool to just kind of normalize it in a way that uh, I don't think would have been 10 years ago, you know? I think that's an interesting element because I, I see that through line in a lot of our audience, you know, because they, they, they relate to the lyrics about anxiety and that's, that's all I'm doing when we're making like a cyanotic album really is like, okay, let's imagine this character's viewpoint, aka me, or whatever is, but usually me in the viewpoint of uh, being in the near future and surviving something that causes chaos. <laughs> well, I, I think it's nice now that people, I feel like 10, 20 years ago, or maybe even longer at this point, everyone was just weird. You were either normal or you were weird. And it's nice, it's nice to be like, no, this, this is the way your brain is wired and we're able we're able to test that and that and it's like oh i have more insight as to why i am the way that i am and it's not weird or normal it's i just function differently than you so i can focus i, I don't have to worry about am i weird am i not weird i can focus on knowing what i am and just moving forward with that well yeah and that's you said it very succinctly yeah because man i I just always felt very out of place in life. And, you know, when your worth is kind of established by 
what you do after a while. It's like, well, I mean, I make industrial music and I love sci-fi and horror films and eventually want to make one of those. Those are, there's my worst established kind of, and I don't know. I, it's been interesting to understand that I function and I have been able to function and I have my own weird worth, you know, but I've still just like kept alive strangely on this planet for almost 40 years. Not really getting it up until just this year. All right. So, so we're down to five minutes. I want to make sure we, we get to everything that you wanted to talk about. We're still looking at finishing up this movie that we started two years ago during the pandemic. Where did the idea come from and who's in it and what are you guys up to? I guess the idea has been around for a decade. I don't know, probably longer since we just, I don't know. I grew up on a steady diet, all the low budget sci-fi and horror in the 90s. When we were doing the Trigger Effect album, it was originally supposed to be this idea to have a mini movie accompany the songs about you know, just a day of reckoning where we're not in a maximum overdrive way, but also kind of in a maximum overdrive way, technology kind of just becomes sentient. And not so much um, like a serious work, but also not like a trauma level, like bad comedy. So we've just been fine tuning it for the past, I'd say three years. I mean, we've been, we've written probably about 12 versions of a script and we ended up cobbling all those together into like the best ideas for segments that could just be like 15, 20 minute stories, little tales from the crypt style vignettes that are all connected by screens. Cause it's all kind of about screens and technology kind of, you know, overpowering people, you know, video drone and all that stuff's obviously an influence, but we're also not trying to be as, elevated in our approach <laughs> and it's gonna have a lot of the people from glitch mode in it uh it'll have a glitch mode soundtrack the soundtrack's already been recorded as far as score that's actually what caused us to want to do a whole movie we were like hey why don't we just score an imaginary movie like john carpenter does for his lost themes albums that'd be fun and um it just kind of mutated into that of just like oh that wouldn't be hard to shoot like a couple lights down a hallway and <laughs> That's always been a passion of mine since I was a kid. That's what got me into this music was just hearing movie samples and, you know, that kind of B-level, low-budget sci-fi horror feel uh, that's in a lot of the uh, industrial music I love.
On this episode, you heard Survival Instincts, the Jamie Duffy mix of Alt Machine, and Borderliner. Cyanotic can be found at cyanotic.bandcamp.com. Our opening music is Euthanasia by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Spike Hellis. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here is Sean again sharing another one of his memories. And that guy was so hugely influential to us in keeping our process alive. And every time we finish a track, there's a picture of Jamie peeking out over the monitor that's like, I don't know, I'll show you it by the end of this. <laughs> but it's just his eyes from the memoriam, and they're just like, <laughs> you can just see him over, and you just have to imagine him like kind of folding his arms and like nodding his head and enjoying it. Cause that's how you have to, that's how we have to feel good about a song getting done anymore. <laughs>